Welcome in everyone to the Sunday Recap. So glad you're here with us today. Today, um, we are joined by Pastor Keith Groves. Hello, hello. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. How you doing? <laughs> doing well. Welcome. Doing well. Um, and we got Mitch Green with us as well. Mitch, calling in from home. What's up? What's going on um, with you, man? Calling in from the interwebs. Man, I am doing good. We got a sick kid again. Oh. Wife really had to go in the office today. So I'm hanging out, drinking coffee out of my super dad mug, <laughs> and um, watching the kid on the baby monitor, hopefully take a nap here. Totally. So we'll see how this goes. Totally. Yep. Well, I'm glad you can come in and join us even via technology today. Ariel is on vacation this week, so she won't be joining us. So it's it's a dude's day again, hanging out in here. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, yeah. Um, hey, before we get rolling with uh, talking about your sermon on Sunday, Keith, um, we want to talk a little bit about our biblical counseling ministry. Um, one of the things that I love about what we do here um, with the biblical counseling ministry is not only is it an opportunity to help and serve people in the church who really are dealing with some struggles and problems, right. help them kind of work through that stuff. But we also offer the training program to help people to not only work through maybe some things that they may be dealing with, but it also um, trains them to become biblical counselors and help right. them out uh, to help others in the long sure. run. So tell us a little bit about biblical counseling. Um, just just on a broad level, what is biblical counseling and why is, why is it um, something that we are committed to here at Stones? <laughs> Well, basically, uh, the the broad overview is it, it's really to help people to understand what biblical problem solving is, mm. so that they, if if they're dealing with any kind of difficulty, we look at it from God's perspective. What does God's word say, and what does He want us to do there? Right. So, so that's really what it is. It's about just helping one another uh, to live the life that God wants us to live, and and finding out uh, what we we need to do differently, what we need to sometimes put off, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then sometimes what we need to put on, and and actually it's more of God putting those things out of our lives and putting on more of what Christ wants us to, to be living in. So yeah. so it's really about biblical problem solving and and like our first two um, uh, training sessions, uh, the level one and level two, we just started level one again. And these are people who, not all of them want to become biblical counselors, they just want to know, how do I help somebody who comes to me and says, I'm having problems in my marriage, or right. you know, I, I'm having anger issues, what do I do? <laughs> so, right. So we just try to help people to understand that. And along the way, some of those people say, you know, I'd like to become a biblical counselor. So we have five levels of training that they go through to become a certified biblical counselor. Okay. Yeah, very cool. So you guys just started level one right now. If someone Mm -hmm. wanted to jump into the training, how would they do that? Well, they can uh, jump in. Actually, uh, right now, we're so far along now, it would be best for them to jump in, uh, come um, January. Okay. Uh, when we will start at the end of January, we'll start level two, and they can actually jump in on level two and then go back and take level one. It's not one is not dependent on the other. Right. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so, so to find that, I know it's on the website, right? So there's a right. if you go to stonescrossing.com, there's a tab now for biblical counseling, so you can go on there and right. find out the details there, probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, maybe even sign up then for the next semester's uh, classes, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can sign up for uh, the second semester. And uh, if anybody wants to receive biblical counseling where right. you're just struggling and need some help in working through a, an issue or two, uh, then they can do that at any time. It's called a, an adult intake form or uh-huh. a student intake form. Okay. And they just fill that out and it comes to me and then we we get a counselor and they start meeting. So. Very cool. Yeah. I'm so glad our church offers that. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's definitely reach out to Keith if you're interested in any of those things. Uh, we want to get you connected into that um, into that program so that um, you can get the help that you need and you can move forward towards actually helping other people to, right. uh, uh, in the church. So what a blessing that is. Yeah, it is, definitely. Well, let's go ahead and jump into uh, the sermon from Sunday. So, you know, this was a standalone message. We, we had just finished the, the series on praying with Paul. And, uh, and so you're up there, get to, and essentially the way that this usually works is you get to sort of pick 
whatever you want to <laughs> preach on. Right. Why did you pick Ephesians chapter six and the armor of God? What was it about it that drew you to this passage? Well, actually, I think it was it was uh, the verse ten uh, because I've been using that a lot to try to encourage people who are a bit discouraged. And you know, it's that verse that says, "Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might." Mm. And and then he goes on and he explains the the rest of that passage is about how to have that strength from the Lord. Right. And and the armor is a, a huge part of that. So that that's really what drew me there was trying to find something to encourage the people in times of, of struggle and and weakness where they can find some strength. Okay. How is this passage helpful in the in like a, a counseling situation or how how do, how do people apply this verse to their life? In that way, right? Well, uh, one of the biggest things, and, and I mentioned this in the in the message, but it was uh, I found out this was a passive voice in in the original Greek, which means basically it's it's not you just trying to strengthen yourself; it's what God does to you and for you, where mm-hmm. you're just a passive participant, mm-hmm. and He's actually the one who's providing the strength, and, and then He tells us how how he does that. Right. Yeah. The way that the Greek works is so interesting because there's a lot of complexities to it. So this is a command, first of all, right? Because he's he's commanding. It's an imperative, like be Mm -hmm. strong, right? He's saying this is what you have to do. That's right. But because it's passive, then ultimately what what it's kind of saying is like the source of that is not from within yourself. The source of it is from outside of yourself as an external source of this strength, um, which is fascinating. And the other thing too is that there's another way, there's another way to say it that would be reflexive it's it's another way to do it that and that's what you're talking about this strengthen yourself like mm-hmm. that's reflexive strengthen yourself but it's not the reflexive voice it's it's this passive voice right. and so it it really has this idea of like um almost like you could translate it as be strengthened right. like be strengthened in the lord let him mm-hmm. by his power strengthen you um this, by the strength of his might you know so what is, you know, again, we've been really trying to dig into these passages, but I think it's interesting. We're two weeks removed from looking at chapter three, right? Yeah. Is that when we looked at chapter three of Ephesians? Right. So I, I'm curious, like, what is the finally, you know, the very first word of that verse 20 right. in reference to that happened in between chapters three and chapter six? Mm-hmm. Well, he gives all kinds of different uh, practical instructions on on relationships, especially uh, throughout chapters four and chapters five. And when you look at um, you know at dealing with each other in our interpersonal relationships, and then husbands and wives, he gives a whole section there mm-hmm. uh, on in, in, you know encouraging them. And so then he comes into this letter and says, "Finally, guys, here's what you need to do: let God strengthen you to to be able to accomplish all this." Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, because we had talked about this when we looked at, at Ephesians before, that you know between chapter 3 and chapter 4, there seems to be a break. Like chapter chapter um, 1, 2, and 3 is all the things that God has done for us. And right. then chapters 4, 5, and 6 seem to give you some commands. Like mm-hmm. this is how you're supposed to live in light of that. But he does kind of return to that. That, that idea here, like there's a there's this merging of this is what God has done, but there's also something for you to do mm-hmm. um, in that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is interesting about this this armor of God thing is because we're going to talk about all of the different pieces of the armor of God, the six different pieces a little bit, but there is this tension between these are the things that God has done for you, but yet you have to put them on. And I, and I guess what, mm-hmm. my, what I wrestle with and sort of wonder about is how do you, how do, you do that? Like, like when, when it says to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness – what does that practically look like? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, how do I actually do that? Yeah. Well, I think it, it has to start with you being mindful that God wants wants you to have these abilities and have this extra strengthening from him. Mm-hmm. So it starts with the way we think and, and how we're aware of God provides this. Yeah. I think it starts there. And then the practical application, like the belt of truth, we have to understand, you know, God's word is truth and I need my to lead my lead my life by his truth, mm-hmm. which means, you know, I'm always telling the truth, I'm I'm knowing the truth and I'm sharing the truth in love with right. other people. So so that would be one of the practical ways as far as the belt of truth anyway. Yeah, certainly. Paul uses this put-on, put-off language a lot. I know you guys address it a lot in counseling. Um, you even referenced it when you were talking about what's the the purpose of counseling. Right. What are you trying to do? Um, 
And, and I think, you know, Colossians 3, I think, is probably the passage that, like, we turn to the most when we think about this, where Paul does something very similar. He kind of gives you the before the finally part. You know, in verse 1, he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Right. And then he goes on in verse 13, where he says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if you have, if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So I, I think it's this, like, there's this reality of what Christ has done for us uh, that's true, that's withstanding of our actions. But every day we wake up with the choice to actively walk in that truth mm-hmm. or right. to kind of ignore it, even though it's there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and so what Paul is saying is, is why would you ignore that living for the lesser living of this world? So mm-hmm. he's saying, put on Christ daily. Remind yourself of the eternal reality that you're in. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done in the cross. And then just as he does in chapter four, he's like, walk in that. Walk in what God has already done. Um, right. So right. I think Paul, Paul's a master, you know, put on, put off the kingdom, the world, you know, the flesh, the spirit. He's the master of kind of giving this picture of there's this option to live outside of Christ, and then there's option to live inside of Christ, and it doesn't negate anything that Christ has done, but we're just choosing to walk in that belief. Um, and that's the fullness of life. I, I'll say one more thing. I am... Um, I remember, like, I think maybe I've said this before on here, but I remember going to a Cincinnati Reds game, and there was a guy holding a sign that said, um, if you die tonight, do you know where you would go? Um, and, I like, that's a good question that we should all have an answer to. But the reality is, for most of us, we're going to live tomorrow. And so while it's important to know what our eternal security is in Christ, like, that is absolutely foundational you also need to recognize that you're going to live, you know, after your baptism, like you're going to have more life to live. And so how does Christ relate to what you're going to do tomorrow versus what he's going to do? You know, in my case, I hope 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's kind of like, it's it's kind of like when you get married, right? Like you work so hard to get to the wedding date and you're like, all right, we made it. And then you just, you know, and then you realize, wait, now I have to like, live in this, you know, <laughs> live in this relationship. And of course there's blessings w- that come along with that. But, yeah. but you, sometimes you get so focused on the wedding date that yeah, that you forget Absolutely. about what's happening after that. Right. Yeah. And the real marriage yeah, actually starts a, afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good picture. Cause you know, like you said, like as using Paul language, it would be like, you're declared married, like you're declared righteous. You mm-hmm. know, when you stand across from your bride and you're pronounced to be married to them, you're now married. But you're not any better at being married than you were five minutes ago. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> like you're the same people with the same problems and the same issues. Figuring out, you know, I I joke about like being, you know, Graham being here trying to take a nap, figuring it out. Like I'm constantly learning how to be a better dad. Like that's that's how growth looks like. There's right. a process of growth, and so in Christianity we call that sanctification, and so we're growing in Christ likeness. But to do that, it takes putting on the things of Christ, right. um, to be actually practicing the ways of Jesus in our life. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something else you said, too, just going back to this tension that we see in this passage between this is what the Lord has done for us, but then we also have an active role. Because one of the things that I think is um, important for the the time that we live in uh, even now is, is just this balance between... Um, between those two things, um, because if you lean too far towards the, hey, you know, the, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, then you end up kind of landing into sort of a legalism right. sort of camp, yeah. right? But if you start getting to, into the into the idea where you lean too much on this is what God has done, this is what God has done, you end up landing more in sort of an antinomian camp, and, and antinomian is yeah. you know big word, right? So it's it's the idea <laughs> that. Um, you just do what you want to do. Don't worry. God's going to forgive you anyway. You know, <laughs> that kind right. of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and both are wrong. Uh, both are wrong. Like you, mm-hmm. it, it, there's, there's something in the middle that scripture seems to, uh, seems to get to. And this is a great example of that where God has secured these things for us in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. at the same time, 
we have to we play an active role in actually putting those things on, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And and there's a there is a tension there that that we live in, mm-hmm. but it's not um, it's not. If you, if you go too far to one side or the other, you, you have the, the potential of falling off the cliff. Yeah, it's, it's always a balance between mm-hmm. trusting in God and seeing what he's done and then doing our part to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and right. what yeah. he's working on, on in our lives. Yeah, Which is, you know, Keith, something I really appreciated about your sermon is, you know, you're addressing kind of, you're talking about, you know, you're, you're having conversations with people that they're wrestling with, you know, just being... Um, struggling with everything they see going on in the world. Um, and I think sometimes we have a tendency to like, to very narrowly say, this is the thing that we need to be doing. You know, this is the right. thing that believers would be doing, but rather like what, what Paul kind of calls them to and what you're doing in the sermon is to really work through this process of seeking God, trusting in him um, and walking in discernment, you right. know, understanding like there are times where you, you should do certain things and there are times where you're not. But, but I think, you know, like you're saying, Chris, we can get so legalistic where we can look at people and we can say, if you're not doing this exactly the way that I am, I don't even know if you're a Christian anymore. <laughs> and it's sure. like, I- I'm going to be honest, unless the Bible like flat out says it, you know, very clearly says this is what we're called to do, then it's not a matter of which that you can say, you know, this makes you a Christian or this does not. Yeah, and right. so I-, I think, I think that's where it's important to say that we are called you know, to be discerning with the culture that we're in, we're called to do things and God may call us and we may discern that he's leading our family to do this and our family to do that, but they're not divisive matters. What's more important is that we're trusting in God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why, you know, you're not, you know, you look at the first century world and it's like, I mean, they're getting killed for a lot of what they believe, you know, and, and they're getting, you know, they're, they're facing, you know, certain practices that they have to do. And, and all these things, but yet you see Paul not necessarily say, you guys need to go do blank, you know, go stand in front of, you know, <laughs> like, like take from Caesar. With it. What you see is that more of a, like, subversive trust in God, mm-hmm. rely on him, walk faithfully. And then I think what Paul would say is he would trust that if you're doing that process and you're, you've got is leading you, um, then your actions are going to follow suit. And while that may look different for every person, it's not the actions that are defining of if the person's faithful or not. Right. Rather, yeah. it's their trust in God. Right. And, and I you think know? that's an important thing to bring up because um, I want to make very clear, too, like what we're talking about here is not, is not our, about our justification. Really what we're talking yeah. about here is mm-hmm. about our sanctification. Mm-hmm. Justification is a different category here altogether. I, I think what, what we need to re- remember here is when Paul is writing this in Ephesians, he's writing to Christians. And this is this is something that you know pe- people that um, know the promises of God they've been um, they've been given that um, that grace and especially like when you look at Ephesians chapter one the verses three through fourteen that's one big run on sentence and, and and how confirming that is that Paul has an understanding that his recipients are truly uh, Christians that God that God right. has has redeemed them and so that's a different category altogether. What we're talking about here in this cooperation side is is um, is really in the sanctification part of it. That's that through sanctification we do have a role to play, and we can resist the spirit in, right. in sanctification. We can we can push sure. back on that stuff, and we cannot put on the belt of truth, and we cannot put on the breastplate <laughs> of righteousness. Yeah, say that five times. Well, that's why I want to make that <laughs> distinction when talking about the breastplate of righteousness. That we're not talking about the righteousness that we're given when we're saved, the justification you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul is is telling them to put on the righteous way of living a life of integrity, living out your sanctification. Yeah. So there is a distinction. Keith, your your exegesis of these six things um, and like the application of it, I think was good. Um, but what I what I didn't realize, and what I think uh, you know a lot of people maybe don't realize is so many of these things are dependent on the Old Testament right. in order to 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 know what these things really are. Um, and in, in particular, the book of Isaiah. Um, and so let's just sort of start at the beginning here. We're talking about the first one. Actually, we haven't even read the passage yet. We should read the passage. What are we doing? <laughs> what is this? Some sort of 
cut rate church podcast. Let's read the passage. Uh, so, so someone before you get before you get there, someone I, I, whoever's listening to this, somebody I want to know if this is real or not. I saw a meme, and I think it was a meme. I don't know if you call this a meme. It was like a, a quote, and it said that there are only twelve chapters in the New Testament that do not quote the Old Testament. I don't know if that's accurate at all. I don't know. But I want someone to confirm for me if it is or isn't, because I think that is fascinating if it's true. That would be fascinating. Although, yeah. I mean, when you look at that— I can't— when you look at that book, the uh, the D. A. Carson and uh, book yeah. where he, it's called the commentary on of the old or the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Yeah, it's a thick book. It's huge. <laughs> it it's is. like it's like fourteen hundred pages long, and they and they point out like all the different references yep. in the Old Testament. But anyway, yeah, I mean, maybe that's true. Someone knows more than me. Tell me if you think that's true or not. Yeah. <laughs> on Sunday, I'm just interested. And it wouldn't be just quotes, but also allusions to, and and, and that's what this yeah, is. Yeah. Right. Like these mm-hmm. these these six things are allusions to other passages and other concepts. Right. Um, and so, so what? Why I think this is fascinating is just because the the recipients of this letter probably would have had that in the back of their mind as they read this. Right. So, well, let's go ahead and read this passage. This is uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Well, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And that's Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. All right. Thank you. So he begins here by saying, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We've talked about that in the passive voice. Mm-hmm. He's really concerned uh, in verses you know, uh, 11 through 14, especially, just this idea of standing. Right. Um, why is Paul concerned about them standing or standing firm? Well, because they, <laughs> they, they can be swayed and moved around, and they could be moving all over the place instead of standing. And that word for stand there actually means to hold your position, mm-hmm. you know, to, to keep where you're, where you're at, to stand firm, don't let the world and, and the different philosophies of the world sway you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you mentioned a few things in, in your sermon of just some stuff that was happening in the context of Ephesians. We, we've even talked about this on the podcast. Like, so, uh, it, it, it was sort of a hotbed for different um, idol worship, uh, places of idol worship. And it was sort oh, yeah. of a crossroads as well in, uh, in Asia Minor where you have so many different people coming in and selling, thing, selling different idols. And there was a mm-hmm. huge market for that there. So the, the, the religious pluralism in the area was – was very diverse, right. um, and the different philosophies that were being taught was very diverse. And so Christians were in a position very similar to where we find ourselves today, where we have access to these different philosophies and, and ideas and religions and can go any way we want with that. And we end up yeah. sort of yeah. blending it all together with Christianity sometimes or just leaving Christianity altogether. Right, because, I mean, there is, and, and he wants to reemphasize, listen, there is a spiritual battle here. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we're fighting all the time, whether we realize it or recognize it or not. It's mm-hmm. it's there and it's present. That's right. This is one of those where I'm reminded of how their situation um, may have even been a little bit more difficult than ours, yes. even though they're facing something similar. Because, again, he's telling them to stand firm on what they know to be true, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But keep in mind that, like, they, this is new. <laughs> like, they've just yeah. heard this. You know, so for them, it's stand firm on this. The world is now seeing what's kind of going on in the church a little bit. And so they're infiltrating it with other religions, other ideologies, 
which is what's happening today. But we at least have 2,000 years of history, <laughs> you know, right. and, to stand and the firm on that. New Testament. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. We have, we have it in front of us. So, so his challenge to them, which we see them do, um, I look at us and I go, man, we need to have that courage, but we also need to recognize that like, Oh, you know, it's not like, Oh, it was hard for them to stand firm too. It's like, yeah, it was, but for them, it was a, it was a different ball game mm-hmm. and for us. You know, we have these things speaking into us, but they're almost less religious. Like everything that's speaking into them, you know, that's trying to change their foundation being Christ is masking itself as a part of Christianity, a part of their religion. And so I just think it's, I think we need to kind of recognize that, that sometimes we have this like, oh, woe is me, it's 2021, you know, mentality about it. But the reality is it's like, I don't know, their situation was pretty stinking difficult. Absolutely. Because you're just trying to piece what a church looks like. Well, you know? and and what what's interesting is, you know, like you said, today we can appeal to the New Testament, we can appeal to these passages. Um, what does he do? He appeals to the Old Testament, uh, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what this, yeah. this whole thing is. Like, he's appealing to passages in the Old Testament to give an illustration of how they are to stand firm. Um, so let's walk through these. He, he first begins with the belt of truth. Um what is, when and when he's talking about truth here? I mean, Keith, you, you said that this is really the this is the thing that holds everything in place. You know, the the rest of the armor is fastened to the belt, right. things like that. So, truth itself becomes, in essence, the very foundation for uh, for all of the other pieces of the armor. Yeah, um, and, and in our society, truth is all relative. You know, it's it's what right. you find to be true is true for you, rather than okay, God said this, and that's the truth that we have mm-hmm. uh, as as established for our foundation. And so that's why this whole belt of truth it does it holds everything together as to whether you're living in reality or you're not. Right. So what is this truth then that he's talking about? I think I think the belt of truth that he's talking about here is is the truth of God's word and the fact that God is the one who provides this extra strength that you need to be able to face this spiritual warfare that you're dealing with 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 you know the the forces of evil versus God and his forces. Yeah. I I would totally agree and because I, I think that this is this is the one that seems to be unique uh in that it it doesn't necessarily have a clear Old Testament reference to it. But I think what he's doing here is he's setting up the category where he's saying, let's talk about truth. What is truth? Well, it's God's revelation of truth to us, right? right? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, just a foundational principle for us as, as Christians is understanding that all truth um, is communicated to us by God. Any, any, anything that is true is something that that God then tells us, in, in, whether through natural revelation, right, through right. through His creation, or through His uh, special revelation, through through, through the His Word. word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and and like when Jesus prays uh, for His apostles, for for His His twelve disciples, He prays that the Spirit would lead them into truth, and He says, "Your Word is truth," right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just that idea that um, what what He probably has in mind here is. It's scripture. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And setting up the whole concept of this is all scripture. So the next one is the breastplate of righteousness. And this is, I think this is a tough question to answer uh, with this is what righteousness are we talking about? Are we talking about our own righteousness? Are we talking about God's righteousness? Are we talking about a righteousness that is given to us? Are we, you know what I mean? Like yes. there's a number of different questions there <laughs> or different ways you can go. So, what are we talking about there, and why is it that we know that? Well, I think uh, you know what he's specifically talking about here is, like I mentioned before, it's not our justification of of righteousness to receive from Christ, because when he's telling us to put it on, that's already been put on to us by God when we trusted in Christ. Mm-hmm. So, so he's talking about putting on the ability uh, to obey God and to follow through with what he asks us to do in his written word uh, so that we are following him, we're living that life of integrity and, and, and purity, and we're wanting to be obedient to him because we love him and, and we appreciate the goodness of Christ that he has given to us. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to live that out through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, I think in in our culture today, even as Christians, we're so easily offended by things. Um, and and when we're offended, um, sometimes we take it as a personal offense, you know, rather than 
when we're putting on the righteousness of God, it may actually be an offense to God versus an offense to us. But right. we take we take it so personally, <laughs> like we take such a hit that I think really it's like if you think about a breastplate, it, it's offering kind of a layer between you <laughs> and the attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's reminding yourself that, Hey, you're not the one taking the hitch. Um, so now I say that to encourage you not to operate out of being so offended, <laughs> you sure, know, right. so truly rely on God, not to feel to constantly justify, you know, your opinion, but to really just rely on God's righteousness, mm-hmm. um, in your living verse, kind of the, the attacks and the words and the things that are thrown at you. Um, I, I'm for me, I mean, I'm a guy who like, I don't take, I mean, when I get a hard critique from a friend, which has happened in my life, it really hits me, you know? And right. sometimes I've taken unjustified criticism, um, you know, from friends that are either non-believers or things. And I have to remind myself that really the firm foundation is the righteousness of Christ. It's not, it's not me, my own work, my own living. But if I don't put that on, man, I'm just getting beat up, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's it, it's just a reminder um, of like just you don't need to be so sensitive. Um, you have a layer between you and the attack, right. you know. Yeah, that's taking the blows for you. Yeah, I I think both of what you what you guys are saying is good because it it really aligns with the Old Testament reference of this. So this is this is from Isaiah chapter 59, and in particular, verse 17 is where we're looking. And in this verse, um, God is looking at the injustice that's happening in the world and the oppression that's happening in the world, and, and, and um, he's... Uh, He's upset by it. It says, "It says the Lord saw it and it displeased him, and there was no justice." <laughs> right? He saw that. So I'll just continue here. Verse sixteen says, "He saw that there was no man, um, and wondered that there was no one to intercede." Right? Hmm. Then his own arm brought salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. And so, I mean, here he's he's talking about the like this is the the reason for for Christ as, as the Messiah. Right. Verse 17, this is where it comes into play, that he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And I think, I, I think what's, what's getting here is, is this idea of like, there is injustice in the world, kind of like Mitch, what you were saying too. Like we're going to feel offended by other people. People are going to hurt us. People are, you know, people right. are going to, um, uh, you know, they're they're going to offend us in some ways. And as they do that, our de- our our dependence is really on the Lord, not just for um, for our righteousness, but what He's really talking about here is this idea of justice. This idea of um, he is our he is our justice. He is our strength, and we can trust him for that in the future. The right. the, the Hebrew word there in this passage for righteousness is the word sadiq. Uh, okay. sa, it's like a t s sadiq. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, but that word can mean righteousness. It could be also justice. And so, and it has in the context here this idea of God is going to bring His justice because He He doesn't. He, he sees that there is no justice and he's going to b- bring someone who is going to have his own righteousness yeah. and then bring that to the fold. Another thing too is that the whole idea of righteousness, the only reason we're righteous is because we have been giving, been given the righteousness of Christ. So yeah. then we can live it out. And that, that whole idea is the breastplate of righteousness is really about that protection over our vital organs because we have a relationship, a proper and right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And it all goes back to God is not just some being out there who says, hey, I love you and I want to hang with you. Mm-hmm. But but he's he's the one who loves us so much that he died for us, gave us you know, forgiveness, and then gives us the righteousness of Christ so that we have that personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's right. Preach it. <laughs> yeah. No, so so I was just thinking about this. I've um one thing I've been trying to practice lately, I, and I think I've shared this is praying through some different psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting how the psalms are such a clear reflection of like really how David may be feeling, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. versus um like exactly like the right words to say. And so one of the psalms I've been praying is Psalm five, which is literally titled 
lead me in your righteousness. <laughs> that is the title mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And but but I want I, like just to understand kind of what a different posture may look like when you think you're up against someone that you disagree with, or you're up against the enemy. Or this is what David says. He says, "Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Give attention to the sounds of my cry, my King and my God. For for to you do I pray, O Lord. In the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacri- sacrifice for you and watch." For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Mm -hmm. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate the evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast level into your house, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight for me. For there is no truth in your mouth, their, their inmost self is destruction, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue, make them bear the guilt, O God, let them fall on, your, on their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they are rebelling against you. Mm. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing of joy, and spread your protection over them, and those who love your name may exalt you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor and a shield. And I think it's, again, you see this, this, he is very clearly saying, I cannot stand what's going on. (laughs) Like, I cannot stand what they're doing. I can't stand the tact that they're playing playing against me. But he doesn't say, okay, so now I'm going to go right back with the way that they're attacking me and beat them up. Or I'm going to go right back and you know, use their, you know, their rhetoric and kind of fight the way that they fight. Rather, his posture is, God, I'm trusting in you. You declare what's righteous. Do what you do with unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm going to rely on you. And God, I'm going to trust in you and take refuge in you. Mm-hmm. Verse kind of this, what we often think is this active, like we've got to be the one that's fighting God's battle. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, mm-hmm. but I am saying that more often than not, I think it looks like taking refuge in God in the midst of attacks being thrown our way right. Right. versus actively fighting. <laughs> you know? Well, that's why if you look, we only have one offensive weapon in mm-hmm. this whole armor. Most of it's defensive in nature because like, you know, like you just said, Mitch, we're trusting in God instead of relying on our own power and, and fighting back. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, let's mo- let's move on to the next one because, man, we're going to run out of time here real quick. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the shoes, the shoes um, that bring the readiness that's brought by the gospel of peace, right? So um, this is actually most likely an allusion to Isaiah 52, verse 7. And that's this passage that reads, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says in Zion, your God reigns. And I think um, I think that this is this is probably right. There, there's, there's, a, there's an allusion here to this idea that um, uh, of this idea really of being ready to tell the gospel like that's that's, right. that, that's what you that's the application that you gave for this one yeah. well i think what his his allusion here too is is to the stability of we have a firm foundation because we stand on the gospel of peace mm-hmm. and the gospel message you know the message about the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ that's the good news mm-hmm. and so we we have that stable um, position and that stable understanding and that stable relationship with God because of you know His grace and His mercy that's poured out on us, mm-hmm. so that we can then hopefully have that defense ready to be able to share that message with anybody we come in contact with, especially as we go through and they see the armor on us and see that we're different than the people around us, so we can be able to say, "Hey, the reason I'm different is because of Jesus and who He is and what He's done. Yeah, it's not about me." Yeah. It's interesting how the peace that it's talking about, because I, I, I think sometimes we start thinking about peace in the sense of um, calm right, or yeah. quiet, mm-hmm. but, but that probably what's most, most likely going on here is this notion of um, peace that is between us and God. Right. And 
the security that you're talking about that stems from that peace that has been made between us and God. Um, and, and that's what brings, that's the good news. That's the, what brings happiness. That's what helps us to come to this place that the, Isaiah is saying, like your God reigns. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, so I, I think it's important in that to not confuse um, peace with calm Right, or, uh, the, or the or absence of, of warfare. Correct, yeah. Because, you know, this it's like this battle's raging all around us, but we still have this this inner inner understanding that God is in control and we can trust in Him because He's, he's the one who's providing this peace. Right. Well, let's jump forward to the shield, the shield of faith. Um, the shield of faith... In this one, uh, so Keith, you, you said that this was trust. It's 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 a trust that guards us against the enemy's attacks. So my question here is, why is faith or trust in the Lord really the answer to the enemy's attack? It, it is because, you know, it all boils down to, do I trust in God or do I not? Mm-hmm. And if I do trust in him, then whatever happens to me, I'm going to let him work out his will. And, and, and like you know, Mitch said earlier, he's my refuge and my strength. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking to him for help and for strength there because – and I like how he says, in all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith. It applies to every situation. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it boils down to, do I trust in God uh, in, in every situation or only when things are in emergency mode? Right. But I think it, I think it is very um, – very practical for us when we're in those situations, because ultimately at the end of the day, it's, are we going to trust God's word? Right. Or are we not? Yeah. Um, those flaming arrows, those, those seeds of doubt that the enemy is trying to, to, to fire at us, trying to get us to doubt God. It comes back to, are we going to trust him? Or yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, too, this shield of faith that he talks about. Uh, they, I mean, they had smaller shields that they could use, but the one he's talking about is called the scutum, and it was the big one. Mm. That covers almost the whole person, yeah. Uh, which is different than just the little shield. It it covers everything. So this this idea of faith and trust in God and His Word, it, it covers every area of our life, not just those little small things, right. but in the big things too. It's again just a constant reminder that in the face of adversity, in the face of trial, in the face of even being you know mocked <laughs> or beaten. Um, our reliance is on God um, and trust in Him. Yeah. You know, I think it'd be interesting, and I, I don't want to overplay the imagery, but like speaking of waking up in battle versus, you know, I don't think that's the way that we, we most of us in our lives have thought about what it's like to wake up every day as a Christian. We've not thought of like, right. oh, we're in a battle. Mm-hmm. We kind of wake up and think, what's the, what's going to be the blessing we experience today, Lord? You know, and. I think it's I think it's a reminder that again we're we're relying on God in our circumstance, um, regardless of outcome. Yeah. Verse relying on God for outcome, <laughs> you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the reminder is it's just a total reliance trust on God no matter what may come your way. Yeah, I think of it too it from an apologetics perspective. You know, I mean, again, living in a yeah. like look at the context of Ephesians in a society that's pluralistic religiously. Um, there's a lot of syncretism that's happening, things like that. Um, to be able to stand again on 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 the truth uh, of God's yeah. word, that requires faith. Like it <laughs> requires right. a lot of faith to be able to do that when, when, when everything around you is telling you no. Um, and I, yeah. I think that's um, that, that might be part of also what Paul is getting to there is. So, yeah. So I was listening to um, an interview with Matt Chandler, who I, I love as a pastor, but sometimes he can speak in extreme. So know that when I say this, I think it's a little simplistic. But he said uh, in this interview I was listening to you yesterday, he said the um, he said the bar has never been lower for apologetics. Um, and what he what he was <laughs> wow. implying was the idea that you know he's like we used to like it used to be a conversation around like creation, the earth. Yeah. He's like at this point, ontology like, and metaphysics. That, and yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like. He's like the bar that's set for apologetics, kind of as you're saying it at right now, Chris, is like to stand firm in your faith. That's right. To trust in God, 
to not borrow the practices of the world, to That's not right. hate like everybody else, to not be divisive like everybody else. That's he's right. like, the bar has never been lower. If he's like, I believe if we did that, like we just stood firm. He's like, people would see that there's something different because it doesn't exist in the world. right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, He's like, but we as Christians need to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting you bring that up because it's a little bit of an overstatement, but I think it's, I think it is helpful to yeah. think again, what would standing firm look like in the midst of this culture versus uh, kind of just borrowing from the divisiveness of culture, throwing jabs at the other side, you know, of, uh, like or whoever we disagree with or making fun of their position. What would it look like just to stand firm and trust in God? Um, and would that speak look radically different than our culture? It probably right, mm-hmm. right, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting too. I was, I was talking with uh, somebody just recently, and and one of the things that this culture doesn't understand that we can love the people who may be doing things that go against scripture, mm-hmm. but we can still love the people even though we don't approve of right. their lifestyle and what they're doing, and and they have a real hard time with that because our culture says you either love me or you hate me. Yeah, and and what we're saying is no, we love you, but we we don't like what you're doing because it displeases God, and that's hard for them to grasp. That's the very definition of tolerance, yeah. and and <laughs> that's right. but the definition that they want is no, you have to agree with me. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I tolerate you as long as you're agreeing with me yeah. and thinking like me. And it's not just people that are not Christians. I think there's a lot of Christians that are in that camp too. Sure. But, but I think yeah. it's it's there's fault on both sides for sure. Right. But yeah. It's good. Yeah. So it's like borrow the borrow the practices of scripture, borrow Jesus's instruction. Don't borrow the practices of the world. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't think you're gonna fight the battle the same way that everybody else is. Yeah. And and, and come out a winner, you know. That's right. Sure. Well, let's look at the helmet of salvation. Um this is a, a really this was a good one. Um Keith, I, I I really appreciated the illustration that you used bringing Woody uh and, mm-hmm. and his uh think think saved right. quote, into yeah. this one. He really did emphasize that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing because again, this one is a reference back to that passage we looked at before in Isaiah 59, where it says uh, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, this gets picked up on again in first Thessalonians five, eight, where again, a letter of Paul and Paul picks up on this and says it this way. He says, uh, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love in this one, <laughs> and for a helmet, the hope of salvation is what he calls it. Yeah. And this is this is something that I think is is fascinating because I I think ultimately what Paul might be talking about here is this hope of our of our future life with Christ in heaven, like yeah. in the new heavens and new earth. Sure. And. Um, and as we look at that, man, that does change our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, big time! Like, how, like, <laughs> so let's un- just unpack that just briefly. How might thinking about the hope that we have of living forever in the new heavens and new earth with God, how would that change the way we live right here, right now? Well, because then you know, if we really are thinking that way, that realigns our priorities mm-hmm. and what we're doing, where, where we're spending our time, where we're spending our money, what we're pursuing, and you know, and and all those things are impacted by the way we're thinking about eternity mm-hmm. and what God is going to provide for us. Because you know, for the Christian, this world isn't really our home. You know, and the mm-hmm. old song says we're just passing through, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's a whole different mindset and concept than the, the world that says, "Listen, I got to get as much as I can right now because this is it, and then after that, you know, who knows?" Right. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, there's so many great hymns about this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I just think like just the reflection of this world is not my home. Um, you know this imagery of being an ambassador as Paul borrows from in second Corinthians, you know, this picture of, um, we have an eternal resting place that where God has, um, worked to make things right, um, where there is justice, where there is peace. And while we don't exist in that now, um, that's our eternal reality. So whatever your present circumstances is again, to to borrow from Paul, uh, that pales in comparison. Yeah. Um, Tells in the comparison for the eternal glory. Yeah, the momentary um, light afflictions. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And there, yeah. And so I think I think it's just a again, it's a reference. Um, and I think God's constantly growing us in that. I think again, that's why you see so many people that the elderly saints, 
who they get this better than I do. Um, they're also closer to eternity. <laughs> not to make light of that. Like, they're, they're, you know, they, it, it's constantly a growing process of sanctification. I was reminding myself even a couple weeks ago about something that I was frustrated about that I think I might have even not. I was operating out of my frustration. Um, and I was like, at first, I was being very hard on myself. It took me about 48 hours to get in what I think was the right place with the situation mm-hmm. and i had like two thoughts first i was like well it only took me 48 hours there's a season in my life that that could have been a six month struggle <laughs> you know <laughs> and it only took me 48 hours so that's pretty good but i also was like but it took me 48 hours you know and so constantly growing in my reliance of god um to right. see things um through the lens of eternity to see things as if christ is the foundation um but we were called to seek that as believers too i think some people just don't even want to seek it. You know, they just, mm-hmm. they, they, they'd rather be like, yeah, but no, I'd really rather this circumstance to look the way that I want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, I, yeah, maybe that's like, sure, that's true, but I'm still going to really like make this the mission of my life. And it's like, no, that's, I don't think that's what, what Christ is calling you to. Yeah, it I think should, it should radically change how we live. Right. It should absolutely mm-hmm. change how we live and change our priorities. I would tell you to, I'll tell you too, I mean, Mitch, I, I resonate with what you're talking about, about, um, like as you get older, I think that, that, mm-hmm. that, begin, that begins to become a little bit of a, more of a reality or, or maybe it's through sanctification. It's probably through sanctification, not just age, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a combination of both. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel like as I, your, as your I, reality changes as you get older. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> it might become easier. <laughs> Well, one well one of the hymns that I think I really resonate with is the one that says um, that uh, the things of this world grow strangely dim, mm-hmm. right? And and I feel like, man, I, there's so much of that that I just resonate with right now. Where there's things in this world that I'm like, I used to love, I used to covet, mm-hmm. I used to desire, yeah. and it's like, ugh, it just does not satisfy. Right. You know. It was funny. I heard Tim Keller uh, this morning <laughs> say something about, remember when you were 25 and you thought your 15-year-old self was really an idiot? <laughs> and then, oh. you know, and then when you get to be 35, you think your 25-year-old self was not yeah. very bright either. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how as you do get older, uh, God gives you uh, more and more of the perspective of what is transient and what is lasting because you start seeing it and experiencing it even more. Yeah. That's right. Well, here's the last one, the sword of the spirit, uh, which is the word of God. So he comes out and just explains the allegory right, right. right in this one. Yeah. But again, this is interesting because it, this is a bookend uh, to the first one in, in, in that way, this belt of truth, which as we talked about, that's found in God's revelation. Right. Um, so the sword is again, the word of God. And, and as you mentioned before, the only of- offensive weapon in this, the rest of these are defensive uh, strategies. So this is probably I read a couple commentaries on this. Um, you have an allusion here to the the work that you saw um, Jesus himself do when he was tempted in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that you know, as the enemy was attacking him, that the Lord actually attacked back, and he did so with the word of God. But there's a even within that, there's an allusion to Deuteronomy 8.3, where he says that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that, um, that the word itself becomes this offensive weapon for us to defend uh, and, and really attack back at the enemy is, is, is the idea. But practically, again... How does that work? I mean, what do we do with that? Can't we, I mean, you, you know, like, like, I mean, am I supposed to just like shout out? Find the verse? a street. You find a street corner. Yeah, right. You, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, and you start yelling scripture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually seen that. Yeah. So, but what does this mean for us? Um, how 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 do we actually utilize the sword of the spirit? 
Well, I think a part of that is that we actually use God's word. Well, that's why you know I love biblical counseling so much because it's not me when that, when somebody says, "Here's what I'm struggling with." It's not me looking at them saying, "Hey, here's what you need to stop doing." Right. You know, here's what you're doing wrong. But it's rather let's see what God says. Okay, God says, you know, I'm supposed to speak the truth in love. I'm not supposed to just speak it out of anger. Right. So it, so it's a, it's a chance for God to to use His word and let Him be the one who is helping them and showing them and leading them and guiding them. Because remember, the, the Spirit is working through the Word. Yeah. Um, he may or may not work through my words, but He definitely works through God's Word. Yeah. I, I think, I think Keith, it's really helpful to come back to um, what you said um, early on in your... Hold on, i got to get there. I keep putting in my wife's passcode wrong. Um, I'll start over there. I think, I think, Keith, it's really helpful to go back to what you laid out early on in, in your sermon, which is, what is the enemy? And I think that helps us think about how we can use the Bible as a sword. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you stated the enemy's the devil, the enemy's the world, and the, and the enemy's our sinful nature. Um, and so I think, okay, if we recognize it that way, it, it, there is an active time where you should probably be sharing Scripture with somebody um, in a disagreement, but even more so, it's kind of in attack against the enemy, the great adversary being the devil, right. but it's also kind of in attack against the flesh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's seeing, the, it's seeing the, the Scripture being the thing that when it, like, your conflict comes to a head, the Scripture is what's going to drive um, the authority on the path that you're going to take. Right. Yeah, it's not um, my the truth that you're going to walk in. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what I feel, what I think. It's it's what does God say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with um, we I face as a student pastor right now is that students feel like that there's this overall tone that just um, Christians are not observedly being loving, <laughs> but right. the students themselves don't often see Scripture as an authority. They don't they don't often see Scripture to be so it's like you need to have both of those things. Like yeah. a righteous living does look honorable, does look loving, does look you sure. know gracious to everyone. But at the same time, um, you can live righteously, be loving, and you need to have scripture as the as the authority. Right. Um, you, those things don't have to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be as if you know I can't be loving and have scripture to be the authority of my life. And yeah, so, truth, truth and I grace think, go together. They don't. They're not mutually yeah, exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one thing, too, just going back to what you're saying, Mitch, yeah. about the authority, because one of the things that's going on right now, um, I'd say, I mean, really the last 200 years or so, but in particular right now is we're seeing the um, sort of the degradation of the authority of Scripture through um, people trying to basically say, like, I want to maybe live a, a certain type of moral lifestyle or things like that. So they will figure out yeah. certain ways to create an argument for that. By, But ultimately what they have to do is they have to um, – denigrate the authority of scripture that it that it doesn't actually yeah. carry the authority that it that it should have right. and so that's a problem I, I i think i think we see that all too often now in the western church um where a lot of churches are going that way uh where where it's yeah. it's belittling god's word as as an authority and, and in its in its authority and, and sufficiency right. and in yeah. um a way that a, a former pastor of mine uh put it was a um he said it this way. He said, "A relative morality will lead to a relative theology," and uh, yeah, and I'm true. like, "Yeah, like I mean, that's what we're seeing happening all the time." So I, I think um, earlier I, I was referencing how, in some sense, I think they had it harder than us in the first century than we do. But I also think it, it's interesting to think about how our situations are different because for them, uh, most of these like approaches that we're trying to sway them away from Christ as their foundation at least we're came across with kind of a religious tone. Right. Um, meaning like simply put that people thought what God people cared what God thought. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so you had to you had to at least attach it to like how was this going to fit into what God thought. Wherein as you're saying, Chris, in our current reality, nobody cares what God thinks. So everything is kind of outside. Everybody is kind of every, every attack is is kind of not grounded in scripture. And so this is where I think this is where the rub um, is going to come against the ways of this world um, as as believers. 
is where you will have to stand on some things because you see God's word to be transcendent. You see God to be the authority of all things Mm -hmm. where the world is not. And that might be where your line draws. Um, But I think it's important to draw your line at that, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. rather than something else. So I I do want to say, like, again, there's circumstances. I think in some cases it was a lot harder in the first century. In other cases, I think in this one, it's like it's the same rhetoric. Just detach God from it. Mm. Um, Trying to accomplish the same things. And again, knowing there's a spiritual battle at play, um, the enemy knows how to use that. And so this is something that's been really going on for the last, you know, 200 years, as you said, Chris. But in the last 50 years, we've really seen a great decline in people's general concerns for what the God of this universe thinks at all. That's right. Yep. Yep. So you have to stand firm on the foundation of God's word, and you have to recognize that that might be, as you said, um, where we walk in grace and truth, and it still may not be received well. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that is what we're called to. Yeah, yeah, true. It's good. Well, we have gone really long, um, <laughs> but uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you're listening to this, um, we should. If you're still listening to this, you should shoot us an email and say, "Hey, I listened to the whole thing." Um, <laughs> you get we'll give you a free award. coffee on Sunday. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and, but, uh, and some mints that the Allen kids didn't take any of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks for listening today, Keith. Thank you for uh, preaching this week. Um, it was encouraging and, um, was and, awesome. and helpful. Yeah, thank you for well, that. My privilege. Thank and you. Uh, then we got we got Nikki uh, P this week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know him. But yeah, Doctor Nicholas Piotrowski. <laughs> That's right. Doctor Nicholas Piotrowski is going to be up this week. Um, I don't know what he's going to be preaching about, so I'm excited to hear him preach and uh, looking forward to that as well and getting to talk about it next week on the Sunday recap. So uh, we'll see you on Sunday for that, and then we'll. Uh, see you next time on the Sunday recap. Have a great week, everyone.